we're in a series called Owner Operator. Owner Operator. And we've learned in the last couple of sessions about how we are the owner operator of our lives, how in our inner world we need to take ownership and to, to manage that. In our relationships, we need to, to take ownership of that and, and, to, and to live well in that space. I read a study this week, and it said that three out of ten, uh, this was a British study, so, so British people felt that it was inappropriate to talk about money in church. I actually think it's inappropriate not to talk about money in church. And so what we are talking about today is how we, we become owner operators, how we take responsibility for our money. Because Jesus talked a lot about money. 17 of his 38 parables were about money and possessions. So that's almost half of what he talked about related to, to finances and, and what we did with the stuff in our lives. And so I think it's important that we talk about it. So if you're a visitor here today and you thought you'd come along for just to check it out, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to you about something that, that a lot of people get a bit uncomfortable about. Because how many of you know that you know, talking about money can be a little uncomfortable? I think Jesus talked so much about money because it's, it's the thing that, that fights hardest with God for lordship of our lives. Money is the thing that probably more than anything else can take lordship instead of God in our worlds. And Jesus knew this, and so he thought, I'm going to address it. The thing is, of course, that we don't get a, we don't get a map. Uh, what I would really like is if, if the Bible had this index at the end, right? And, uh, and in this index, it kind of had uh, uh, just uh, your age and maybe where you live, maybe even the time you live. And next to that, it had some kind of um, idea of uh, what you should be earning. Okay, what your income? That would anybody would find that that would be helpful, <laughs> because because how many of you know that it's it's one of these things in church life we don't really really know. There's there's kind of there's two there's, there's a pendulum that swings. It swings between what we call a poverty mindset, and and you know throughout the ages there have been there have been groups and even now who who take a vow of poverty, who say no no you know Jesus didn't have much. He just rode around on a donkey. And, uh, you know, he was a carpenter, and, well, he stopped that when he did his ministry. So, really, Jesus didn't have many possessions, so, so neither should I. And, that, and that kind of mindset is like, well, let's just rely on everybody else to provide for me, and, uh, and I'll serve God. And that's one extreme, and then, and then you swing to the other extreme. And I read an article uh, this last week about a, a guy who was asking for $44 million, it's in the States, uh, for a jet, he needed a jet so he could preach the gospel uh, around the world. And it was going to cost him $44 million, and so he was fundraising for that. And so we've kind of got these two extremes. You've got like this prosperity gospel and you've got this poverty gospel. And, and, and it's hard, isn't it, to know, well, what's the right amount? Come on, God, give us some numbers. Give us an index at the back that says, okay, I live in New Zealand. I'm in my 30s, and therefore I should earn this much. And this is safe. 
this is good. It's not too much because I'm not being greedy, and it's not too little because I can get by. Uh, you know, I would find that helpful. I don't know about you, but Jesus doesn't do that. God doesn't do that for us. And the reason for it is actually because it's not a matter of money. It's a matter of the heart. Money more than anything else exposes where our heart is at. And so actually there's no figure that you can put on how much you should earn or how much other people should earn. How many of you know that it's easy to look at other people go, oh, he owns a Mercedes. He needs to get with Jesus and uh, sort that out, you know. Or, or, yeah, we do it. We do it. Or we're like, oh, they're just struggling to get by, and they've been struggling to get by for ages. They really need, you know, to get out of that kind of, uh, that mentality and start to earn and, and support themselves. Jesus says this, though, in Matthew 7, verse 1. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So, and then he goes on and he, he talks as if we're all working a sawmill when he starts talking about planks and bits of dust in your eye. And, and, and he says, you know, don't, don't judge other people. And when it comes to money, actually, you don't need to worry about what your neighbor is earning. You don't need to worry about how they live their lives. All you need to be responsible for is what you've been given, is what God has entrusted to you. Is that good? Okay. So Jesus talks about this. And uh, if you want to turn, if you've got your Bibles, in Matthew 6, 19 to 21, Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then he skips, skips down in Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. I find it really interesting that, that verse in, in verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I kind of intuitively think that it should be the other way around. Where my heart is, there I will put my treasure. I really like riding my bike. Therefore, I'm going to put money at it and I'm going to buy myself a new bike. I'm just speaking this prophetically. I don't think May is still in the room. But, but we think that's the way it is. But actually, Jesus says, no, no. Where your treasure is, there your heart will follow. Your heart will be also. And I guess that makes sense. If you think about, now I'm not a gambling man, but if I was to watch a, a horse race, I really wouldn't care who wins that horse race. But if I put $1,000 on a horse, how many of you know I'm there? My heart is there. I'm like, come on, you good thing. Win that race. Why? Because I put my treasure there first. And my heart it follows. Yeah? You with me? 
And I think it's true of anything in, in this world. Where if you invest in property, your shares, or whatever it is, if you're trying to, you know, maybe it's just KiwiSaver. I don't know, but you want your KiwiSaver plan to go well because you've put your treasure there. So you have a vested interest in it. That makes sense, doesn't it? What is really powerful about this thought is that we can apply that to the kingdom of God. You can cause your heart to follow kingdom purpose if you put your treasure there first. See, too many of us wait for the other way around. Oh, give me a good cause and then I'll, 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 I'll get excited about it. Then my heart will follow. But actually Jesus says, no, 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 put your, put your treasure there first. And then your heart will follow. I, I meet too many Christians who are, who are just a bit ho-hum about church, a bit ho-hum about God and just kind of getting on. And, and, and I wonder where that comes from. I wonder, actually, if they're tithing. I wonder if they're giving generously. Because I know that if they were, they'd be back in that horse. They'd be like, come on, I want to see the church su succeed. I want to see the kingdom of God advance. Because I've put my money in it. I've earned this hard-earned hard money. I've, I've slaved away at my job. I want this thing to go forward. You know, if you're in this place and you, you think, man, oh, yeah, church is okay. I, I like the church. Now, if you want to get passionate about the church, put your money in it. <laughs> put your money there first, and you see how your passion will follow. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You've gone very quiet, church. Some of you are like, oh, this just got a bit deep too fast. But that's what Jesus says. These are his words. In Matthew, and so in Matthew 6, 24, we go on. And, you know, I said earlier, it's a matter of the heart. Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate one and love the other, or you'll love one and despise the other. The word hate, biblically, is often, you know, it's, we think it's hate. It's a strong word. But I really, really, really don't like you. No, it's, it's actually, it actually means to, to like less than. Okay, so, so what it means is that if you, if you love money, you're going to like God less than money. And the flip side is if you love God, then you will love money less. So if you want to stir a passion for God in your life, you've got to flip that around. Because too many of us, money is our master. You see, money is a, is a terrible master, but a wonderful servant. Money is a terrible master, but a wonderful servant. You can do so much with money. It is a great servant to you. But when it becomes your master and it lords over you, then that's a tricky spot to be in. And Jesus says, you know, there's a battle going on there. How do you know if money is your Master. Well, I would say that, you know, in Jesus' day, he's talking about servants and slaves. And so what, does, what dictates to you? Does money dictate to you or does God dictate to you? Now, in some degree, money dictates to all of us what we can do, right? I can't just dash off to the Maldives for six months, uh, partly because I lose my job, but also I don't have the money. Okay, I can't just go and buy a Ferrari. I don't have the money. Okay, there's some things that, you know, I'm sure there's things that you, you can't do because you don't have the money. That's not the point. The point is, are there things that God is asking you to do? 
that you can't do. Because I get a sense that God's not asking me to buy a Ferrari or go to the Maldives. I need to perhaps pray harder, uh, but uh, I don't think that's the case. So what is God dictating to you that, or, or guiding you in? Because God doesn't really dictate, but he, he, he guides us. And, and that is limited. Maybe, maybe you want to be able to go to shout conference. You believe God's calling you to do that, but money's a barrier. Well, then money's become the master in that situation if God's telling you to do that. Maybe it's you want to be able to give to someone and be generous to them, but you, know, you, you can't do that. Maybe you want to come to church every Sunday, but you feel you have to work on a Sunday to, to get by. But there, there again, money has become your master. And we need to flip that script and we need to say, no, actually, I'm going to put God first. And money, you come secondary. Even if it doesn't look very wise <laughs> when you look at the figures. It's a step of faith. It's not easy, but when you put God first, He will honor you in that. When you put Him number one, everything else will fall into place. And you'll find that actually you're free. You're free to be able to, to give to that charity, to be able to be generous to that person, be able to go to that thing that, you want to be, that God is calling you to do because money's no longer your master. God is. So I'm going to talk to you today. That was just the intro. I'm going to talk to you today through two, because two, I said earlier, there are 17 parables that Jesus talks about money or, or finances. So we're going to look at two of them. One is quite straightforward, and one is not so much. Okay, so the first one is in Matthew 25, and it's quite a long passage. I'll read it, and you can follow along on the screen. Beginning in verse 14. A lot of you may have heard this. It's the parable of the talents. Again, it will be like a man, so it's being the kingdom of God, will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I know that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. 
Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So it's a, it's a, it's a hard story. It's a harsh story. Jesus is teaching a lesson, and, and, and it's, a, it's called the parable of talents because uh, it was, it's where we get our word talent, you know, ability. But actually, Jesus is talking about money. And so we're going to apply it at the base level that Jesus was applying it with money. Now, in this, in case you hadn't realized, God is the master and we are the servants. And so there's a few things that we can learn in this. Firstly, is that everything we have is God's. You notice the, the relationship there. The master gives his servants these talents or this gold, and he, and he says, go and put this to work. And then they come back, and they give it back to the master, and it's still his. Yeah? We, we think, oh, God's giving me this stuff, and I earn it, and now it's mine. <laughs> Sweet. And I can buy this for me and do this with this. And, but no, it's still the master's. We like to think, oh, the world is God's, all creation. God, is, God owns everything, the stars in the sky, the oceans. It's all his. And then God goes, that includes your bank account. And we go, get behind me, Satan. What, what was that voice? Everything and all creation is yours. But this, I earned this. I went to work for 40, 50 hours a week for this. But you see, it's all God's, including the ability to earn money. Who gave you that ability? It's all God's and it all belongs to Him, and we're fooling ourselves if we think it's ours. And with that mindset, who are we to withhold from Him? Who are we to say, well, actually, uh, this is mine. You know, we think, oh, tithing, 10%. No, 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 no. Well, guess what? 100% is God's. He only asked for a little bit. <laughs> Imagine if He asked for the 90. No, no, he's, he's generous. He asked only for 10. So, it's all his to start with, and it's all his to finish with. The second thing is, is that we're not all created equal. If you read the story, one guy gets five talents, gifts, or money. One guy gets two. One gets one. And we kind of think, oh, that's not fair. The guy with one, he didn't have a chance. Well, no, you look at how, how God rewards the two with five and two. If you read it, he rewards them equally. So it actually, it doesn't matter how much you've been given. You just have to be responsible with that. You just have to be a good steward of that. And that's where it comes back to looking at what other people have, again, and judging what they've got and go, wow, if I had what they had, if I had the start that they had, they were born with a silver spoon. You know, that, that I, I would be in a lot better place. You can't. You shouldn't. Look at them and compare. No, no, God's given you all that you need to do the will of God for your life. He's given you all you need financially to follow Him in your sphere and be faithful with that. And that's all He's asking you to do. 
whether it's five, whether it's two, whether it's one, whether you only got a half, I don't know. There's probably people sitting in here who've got 10 talents. And God would say, well, what are you doing with that? Because it's not how much you get, it's what you do with it. Are you being faithful with it? And that leads me to my last point around this one is that it takes hard work. It takes hard work to, to be faithful in the kingdom of God. These, the first two people went and they put it to work. They worked hard with what they were given. When the, when the master comes back and he tells off the last servant, what does he say? He says, you wicked and lazy servant. Actually, he says, wicked, lazy servant. Uh, he, was, he was wicked because he was lazy. He didn't put to work what he had been given. He just kind of sat on it. And, and we live in a day and age where, you know, there's a kind of an entitlement. Oh, I should just get what I get because I should get it. Well, who says that? God doesn't. He says, no, you need to work with what you've got. Otherwise, what you've been given will be given to someone else who will put it to work. That seems really harsh. And that's, Jesus is saying, that's how the kingdom of God works. So when we're thinking about being responsible with what we've been given, and I'm talking wider than just finances, but today, talking, thinking money, we, we've actually got to be wise with it. We've got, to, we've got to put it to work. We've got to not just sit on it. He says, at least you could have put it in the bank. It's the least you could have done. So we've got to be wise with it. All right. So that's a pretty straightforward. I, I, figured, I, I skimmed over that fairly quickly because I, I know you guys are smart and you'll get that. Uh, so what about this less straightforward parable? In Luke 16, 1 to 13, I'll read it to you. Jesus told his disciples. There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each of his master's debtors. He asked the first, How much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For, he, for the people of the, this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than other people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? And then it finishes with that same passage we've already read. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. I love how it says there, if you haven't been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? You see, money is just the test. 
Money is just the test of our heart. And God says, you know, if I can trust you with this stuff, that means nothing to me. Then I can trust you with things of real value, which is people, which is lives, which is the gospel of Jesus, of things that have eternal value. If I can trust you with money, then I can trust you with these things. And too many of us, we don't even, we don't even step past that first step of, of being trustworthy with their finances. So this is a, it's a strange parable, isn't it? It kind of, kind of reads like Jesus is, is encouraging dodgy managerial practice, doesn't it? It kind of reads like, um, you know, just be a bit dishonest and uh, that's okay. Jesus is for that. Well, no, he's not, and we'll, we'll see why in a sec. But just, just to, to help you understand this, you know, often parables work at different levels. And so for this, actually, God is the master. The Pharisees are that manager. And the challenge that comes to the Pharisees is, is Jesus and the prophets saying, hey, what are you doing in this situation? And the shrewdness is the way in which the Pharisees are, are very cunning with the law and how they make it serve their own purposes. So there's actually that level. And that, he's talking to his disciples, and so they're probably going, yeah, yeah, those dirty Pharisees. But there's another level that speaks to us, because how many of you know that wasn't just for them then? It's for us now. And that is where, and what is Jesus saying? Well, essentially, Jesus is commending not dishonest practice, but shrewdness. It's right there in, in white and black uh, where he says, the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. It wasn't because he'd acted dishonestly. We kind of we, we know his character. We know this guy's character from the start of the story. He's a dishonest manager. But what he commends him for is acting shrewdly. What, what is it that in that scenario is shrewd? What is it that he does that Jesus commends him? Well, here's a, here's a couple of things. Firstly, I think the manager is honest with himself. The, the manager weighs up the situation and he realizes things aren't looking good. He realizes things are looking pretty dire for himself. And it's really interesting. He, he lies to his boss. He lies to the debtors, but he's honest to himself. It's interesting. I, I think actually too many of us aren't honest enough with ourselves. I think, and this goes, again, wider than just money. But I think there's a, there's a real principle here that, you know, Jesus is saying, this, this guy, yeah, he, was, he didn't have it all together. He was dishonest, but he was honest with himself. He realized that this is where I'm at, and I need to do something about it. I actually have to take responsibility for this situation that I've got myself into. I need to do something to get out of this. It's very similar to uh, the, the, the prodigal son. Who, who leaves his father and he goes and he ends up, you know, in the pig pen. And, he, and it says there that he, he, he says to himself, or he realizes where he's at. And he needs to turn and go back to his father. I think this guy, he, he has this moment of, he realizes, oh my goodness, I need to sort this out. 
there's a self-realization there that I think we need to have as Christians around our finances, but around a lot of areas for our lives. And I actually believe this is a word for some people this morning that actually you need to, to stop fooling yourself. There are issues in your life. There are things, there are hurts that you need to actually, okay, I need to deal with this. I, I need to go to a counselor. I need to, to, to have someone pray for me. I need to talk to someone in my e-group. I need, to, I need help in this area. That's okay. Actually, humility is the beginning of wisdom. That's a wise thing to do is to, to reach out. So that's the first way that, that this manager is shrewd is that he's, he's actually really honest with where he's at. He's got to do something about it. The second thing is that he, he does what he can with what he's got. It's similar to the, to the other parable that, okay, he doesn't have a lot of resources. In fact, technically they're not his resources. <laughs> they're other people's, but he has some control there. So he does what he can with what he's got. He doesn't blame other people. He doesn't look outside of, the, you know, for a, a, just a, a miracle on high. No, he does what he can with what he's got. That's all God's asking you to do with your finances. If you want to be shrewd, and you, you just got to do what you can with what you've got. Take responsibility for it, but realize that you've got to do something. And the third thing is that he was, he was shrewd. He acted quickly and decisively and smartly with his money. And that's what Jesus is commending. He's saying, you know what? You guys need to be a bit smarter. He's saying this to his disciples. He's comparing them with the people of the world. He's saying, they're shrewd. They're smart with what they do with their money and also just how they, how they work, how they operate. They're good operators. I mean, it's a bit of a backhanded compliment to the, to the Pharisees, actually, this whole story. He's, he's kind of saying, well, actually, I don't agree with their stance, but they're smart about it. I think sometimes as Christians, we're a bit naive. We're a bit like, oh, God will sort it out. I don't have to do a budget. <laughs> I don't have to think about my money. La, la, la. I just, uh, God will sort it for me. Well, that sounds a little bit like the first parable with a man who did nothing with what he was given. He just sat on it. And then he got called wicked and lazy. Actually, we need to be smart with our finances. I don't think we need to be dishonest, and obviously God's not saying that, but we need to be smart. So, so how are we shrewd? How do we do that? Well, I'm no financial expert. Please, don't come to me for, for that kind of advice. But I believe God's given me some, some wisdom and some insight into this, and, and I just want to share just a couple of things around that. Firstly, I think we, and I've said it, and I'll say it again, we need to put God as the master and not money. We need to have God ahead of everything else, and that includes our finances. Because when he's there, he will help everything else work out. And I, and I believe that tithing is a way that we do that. Because tithing is about putting your first, your best, into God's hands. We talk about 10% and 90%. It's not like we're tipping God with the last 10%. We just kind of give him the last 
if we've got a bit left over, we give that to him. No, because that's putting God in last place. It's the first. It's the best. We, we give that to him, and then he blesses all the rest of it. And you go, oh, there's not a lot of biblical uh, backing for, for tithing in the New Testament. Well, Jesus in Matthew 23, 23 we don't have it up there. But he, he has a go at the, uh, at the Pharisees, and he says, you know, you, you tithe on your mint and your, your, your cumin and your, all your fancy spices and herbs, but uh, you, don't, you, you neglect the more important things like love and mercy and justice. You know, do those things, but don't neglect the former. So there's an, there's an assumption there. Jesus is saying, well, don't neglect tithing, but actually, you know, you need to be focusing more on love and justice and mercy. So there's, there's an implication that we should be doing that. And so I would encourage you, if you're not tithing, it's a great thing to do. It will, it will realign your, it will essentially put God in number one, because he's saying, yeah, number one is God. After that comes money, not the other way around. That's, that's the first thing I'd say. Secondly, uh, I would say, if you can, get out of debt. Actually, don't get into debt in the first place. Uh, now, I know it's hard, especially, you know, if you're buying a house these days, it's pretty hard to buy one without getting into some kind of debt. A mortgage is kind of like, often it's a, a given. I understand that. I have one myself. What I would say is, try and minimize your debt. Like, when we first bought our, our first house in Dunedin, and it wasn't a big house, that's another, that's another issue. Like, I think often we, we, we want the best now, and there's an expectation that I want to go into it. You know, th- th- this house, its, <laughs> its square meterage was 250 meters, and that was the section, not the house. Like, that's pretty standard for a house. This was the whole section was 250 square meters. So it's a small place. But you see, the bank, when we first went to the bank, the bank were like, yeah, we'll give you all this money. Mary and I are newly married, and, and uh, I was work, you know, young professionals, we, and they, they offered us a huge amount. And we're like, oh, sweet. We could have this place and this place. And then we, we stopped and we realized, actually, that would be stupid. We would be slaves to that. That would hang over us. It would, we would have no freedom in what we could do. Uh, if anything happened, we were in a lot of trouble. And so we bought a house for like half of what they said that they would give us. And that was wise. So don't get into debt if you can avoid it. And if you have to get into debt, get into a small amount. Uh, minimize your debt. The other thing I, I would say is learn how to save. That's something that uh, we, don't, we don't know how to do particularly well uh, nowadays. And, and learn how to be frugal. I, mean, I don't mean tight, but, but learn how to, you know, if you're saving for something, to actually put money aside. Be wise in that. Actually, can I uh, grab keys up? That'd be great. But a flip side of that is we think being wise is just saving. But actually, being wise is being generous. And that's where I, I, I want to I land is that actually we serve a generous God. He is incredibly generous to us. And just like that, that master to a servant, he expects us to take what we've got and to be generous with it. I love um, Isaiah. Uh, I, the exact scripture reference escapes me, but it says uh, that the generous, a generous man makes 
generous plans and by his generosity, he stands. If you are generous, you make plans to be generous. And it's not actually a matter of your bank account. As I said at the start, it's a matter of your heart. When God works in your heart, you, you realize that actually, wow, the nature, the very nature of God is generosity. It's a love that overflows when I don't deserve it. And out of that generosity, then your generosity can flow. Too often we, you know, we, we kind of use that, oh, that, that passage it says, God loves a cheerful giver. And we think, oh, well, I'm not happy about giving this. <laughs> Therefore, I'm not going to give it. Now, what happens is that as you give, the hold of money is broken over you and generosity and, and cheerfulness wells up in your life. And, and the words of Jesus become prophetic to you that it is far more blessed to give than to receive. And you realize actually, oh, I love this feeling of being able to help that person out. I love this feeling of being able to be generous. I'm not having money hanging over me and, and being worried about it. No, as generous as God is to me, I can be generous to others. You see, we're called not to be a dam, but to be a conduit. Too often we, we think, oh, we need to store up and store up and store up for a rainy day or to save for our future. When we, we've got to realize that actually God pours into us so that we can pour back out. We are blessed to be a blessing. And we need to change that mindset. And the other thing that will happen as you, as you start to grasp that is that we will move from, from consumers to contributors. See, in church life, and I'm obviously not talking to you, but there is this, there is this we, 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 by nature, we, we take in what the world around us tells us. And we live in a consumeristic society. And before we know it, we approach God and His church in that mindset. And we think, oh, what can I get out of church? Oh, church isn't scratching my itch. It's not meeting my needs. And therefore, we go somewhere else. No, you, you've got it back to front. You see, what we need to do is actually contribute and then our heart will follow. It's that passage I, I, I said earlier that when, where our treasure is, our heart will be also. When we give, then our heart follows and, and we shift from being a consumer. Oh, I come to church to, you know, to meet with God and to, to receive to actually, oh, how can I, how can I give? How can I bless my brothers and sisters, not just financially, but by serving them morning tea, by leading them in worship, by, I don't know, serving in some way. And something happens on our inside and we realize actually, you know, it's not about me lording it over other people. It's not about, you know, people think, oh, the, the preacher is, he's the guy who gets all the glory. No, actually, in God's kingdom, I should be the biggest servant. These guys who, who, who lead in worship, they were here last night practicing. They were here early this morning. They were serving because they are contributing. They've got that, that heart. And, that, and that's what happens when, when God does a shift in your heart. You, you move from being a consumer to a contributor. In the kingdom of God and, and in the world around us, something significant shifts in your heart. If you were, if you were to go to a cafe and have a coffee, you'd be like, oh, yeah, and that was a bit of an average coffee. Oh, well. No skin of my nose. But if you were to go and, 
and, and say you, you, you were part owner, you'd invested in that, and you had a bad coffee, you'd be like, something's got to change. <laughs> we need to get the coffee right here in this cafe because you're invested. Can I say, my challenge to you this morning is how invested are you in seeing the kingdom of God established in this, in this world, in Timaru? Because if you are, I would suggest that your treasure will be there also. Please hear my heart. This isn't, I, I, I'm not here just to gather revenue for the church, but I know that something will happen inside you. I know that your heart will be for God and His kingdom when you put your treasure there first. So why don't, why don't we stand to our feet in this place. I'm not going to take up an offering. But what I would do is, is ask for you to, to, to pray and to consider where, how do I, how do I uh, see my finances? Where do I need to change? Where is perhaps money become a master in my life? Where do I need to put God as number one? Or where do I need to, to stretch out the tent pegs of generosity? Where do I need to go? Actually, God's calling me to be generous and I need to, to break the power of money off my life by doing that. It doesn't matter whether you're a student. I know there's a number of students here. Or whether, or whether you're a multimillionaire. You see, it's not about the number. It's about the heart. You know that amazing story where, where Jesus sees a, a widow give her last few coins. And then these Pharisees just extravagantly give a whole lot of money. And Jesus says, no, she gave more than they did because she gave out of the little that she had. And he commended her, give out of the little that you have because it's about your heart. There is a box out the back you can give in that or you can, uh, you can give uh, electronically. We have our, our banking details. You, we can give you uh, those if you want. But as I said, I'm not, I'm not preaching this to, gain, to gather revenue. I'm preaching this to change our hearts when it comes to money, to put God at number one. So why don't we, why don't we pray in this place and just, just close your eyes in this moment and invite God to speak to our hearts. Father, I thank you that you send money as a test. You say if we are faithful with money, with worldly wealth, then we'll be faithful with true riches. God, we want to see true riches. We want to see our city come to know you. We want to see people saved. We want to see families restored, hearts made one with you. God, we want to see true riches in this place. But not, God, we know you trust, you, you test us with money. And so Lord, help us to pass that test. Help us to put you first in our lives. God, put a finger on what has to change. Whether it's tithing, whether it's, it's being more generous, whether, whatever it is, God, show us. And let us be humble enough to take those steps to becoming more generous people because we have such a generous God. Amen. There's one last group of people I want to talk to, and that's if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, you don't know this guy who talks all about having Him as number one and not money, who talks about how our lives need to be lived radically different to the world around us. He loves you and He's got a plan and a purpose for you and He's calling you into relationship with Him. So just with every eye closed and head bowed in this place, He's here and He's, I believe He's, he's tapping on the, 
the door of people's hearts. He'll never force himself in. He's waiting for you to open the door to him. If you're here this morning and you want to open your life to Jesus, allow God to come in and change you radically from the inside out, then just raise your hand. I'll see it and you can put it down. Is there anybody here? That's awesome. I see that hand there. Fantastic. Is there anybody else? I'll give you a couple moments because this is the most important decision we can make. Anybody else? Okay. What we're going to do now is we're going to all pray together. That's fantastic. Somebody has, has given their heart to God. We're going to seal that by a prayer. So just repeat after me all together. Dear God, I come to you today. And I lay down my life. I receive your blood and your death on the cross and your resurrection. Thank you, Jesus. You are my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Cool. Come on, let's put our hands together. That's so exciting. I'll catch up with you afterwards. I'd love to hook you up with a Bible and some resources to help you because that's just the start of a journey. It's just the beginning. It's a great beginning, but it's just the beginning. So uh, I'm I'm excited about that and and starting that journey together. But what we're going to do is we're going to finish with a song of praise to our God. So I invite Narisha and the band up.